on time, and so you can just relax and, and kind of share with us for the, the next few minutes here in chapel. <clears throat> the story of Eastern Nazarene College has been being written for over 100 years, actually going back to 1900, by faculty, staff, and students just like us. Well, they may have looked a little differently, um, but at least the reason that they came here to this particular place um, was for a Christian education, very much like the very reasons that you are here today. ENC's story began in 1900 as the Pentecostal Collegiate Institute and Bible Training School. Can you remember that one? Uh, The story continued as the name and emphasis was changed in 1918 to Eastern Nazarene College, and in 1919 it moved to this very campus. Um, Some of the buildings are gone. The old mansion um, is gone. You'll see pictures of it in and around. I think some of the buildings maybe are still here, and some of them, uh, one, yes, Canterbury Hall um, is still here, and some of the others probably look to you like they have been here uh, since then, but they haven't, and we're working on that. The story has continued through these years as individuals just like you and me have continue to come to this campus and write their stories that are part of ENC's story. Because you see, ENC's story is not about these buildings, whether they're old or new or the legacies that they bring, and those are important. And I hope you will learn about the people whose names are on the buildings that you're going in and out of because they're a very important part of ENC's story. But ENC's story is really about the individuals that come here and write their story and avail themselves of the Christian liberal arts education that we have here. And that is a broader picture of God's story. We are a part of God's story, and God's story being written in you and me right here on the campus of ENC. You've seen the slogan, Discover Your Purpose, in many different places over the last few weeks and days. It's been on T-shirts. It's on billboards. Um, I think you can find it in the T-stop. Anybody seen it in any of the T-stations in and around between here and and Boston? Um, It's appeared just about everywhere. And for us, it's more than a slogan. It's not just about a marketing campaign, although it is a marketing campaign, and we hope that you will notice it, and many of you have already picked it up. But it's our prayer that as you are here on this campus, that you will discover your particular purpose for creatively and responsibly serving God and serving others in a spirit of Christian love. You may have noticed the news in um, July. I hope you noticed some of the news in July that was celebrating the 40th anniversary of the first moon landing. This was one of the most momentous scientific achievements of all time. Forty years ago, on July 20th, 1969, American astronauts Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin became the first humans to glimpse the heavens and the earth from a new celestial perspective, the surface of the moon. Armstrong's famous first words, that's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind, were followed by the implantation of a marker to commemorate the achievement. And it says, here, men from the planet Earth first set foot upon the moon, July 1969 A.D. We came in peace 
for all mankind. Now, I know most of you all were not even um, a glimmer in your parents' eye at that point in time. Some of us actually remember that day very vividly um, when they landed on the moon, and it was a, a big event. But hopefully you've read about it in history books and heard a little bit on the news um, during this last summer. Among the hundreds of scientists, researchers, and other personnel who worked timelessly to make the moon landing possible was ENC graduate Eldon Hall. Eldon, <clears throat> working in a laboratory across Boston at, on the campus of MIT, was instrumental in designing the computer system that guided the lunar module to a safe landing on the surface of the moon. At one point, he was sitting in classes right over here in Schrader Hall. Schrader was here at that point, wasn't it? Yes, I thought so. Um, and while he and other project staff no doubt experienced more than a few tense moments, the mission ultimately was a success, and as Eldon says, it was truly God-orchestrated. Eldon's contribution to this historic achievement embodies the mission and spirit behind ENC's new slogan, Discover Your Purpose. Eldon certainly discovered his purpose and he made a major contribution to scientific discovery and knowledge. While he was participating in major scientific discoveries, he was also living a Christ-like life in the midst of his professional colleagues. This is the ENC way. For the past several weeks, I've been reading and studying Paul's letter to the Philippians, and there are probably several reasons why I selected Philippians. First, it's a very joyful and encouraged letter, and I like to be encouraged, and I'm sure you probably do too. Second reason is, it's short enough with only four chapters, that I could pretty easily read it through at least once a day, and I could if I wanted to. I didn't every day, but some days I did. I could read it all the way through in the mornings and in the evenings before I went to bed and kind of get the whole perspective of, of that. The third reason that I picked it up is because there's a new commentary out on Philippians, and it's written by one of my friends, Dr. Dean Fleming. And I was sort of curious to see what he had to say about Philippians and um, Paul's letter of joy. So while I am not all the way through, I began my journey with commentary in one hand and um, the scripture in the other hand and have really enjoyed a few weeks just absorbing a little bit of what Paul had to say to the Philippian church. And I'd uh, like to share a little bit of that, of that with you this morning. If you would stand now and join me in reading God's word, if you would like to follow it, Next to the hymnal that Dr. Shetler so nicely pointed out to you is a pew Bible. And in the pew Bible, on page 1161, you'll actually find Philippians. We're going to read from Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus.
And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and more fearlessly. You may be seated. There's no question in this book that um, Paul was writing from prison. It's a little more of a question as to which prison he was in and which of the time frames um, from his years of imprisonment this was, but very likely it may have been for Rome. So for our purposes today, um, maybe we'll just assume that he was in prison in Rome, and um, I'll let you have conversations about the other possibilities with Dr. Malice later on. One of the other fun things for me as I was reading through the commentary and have been reading in the commentary is that every once in a while, one of the footnotes would say, Malice. And um, it was kind of fun because I knew that that was our ENC New Testament scholar, Dr. Bill Malice, who was chair of the religion division that Dr. Dean Fleming, who was writing the commentary, was quoting. And um, so we do have faculty that are published in many places. Um, Paul was actually imprisoned for sharing the gospel, and, and, you know, this could be a really negative sort of thing, but he's not complaining about um, being in prison. He's, he's talking about the fact that um, he is in prison for Christ, and it's really not Paul that's on trial here. It's the gospel that's on trial. Paul was merely preaching the gospel of Christ. He was wanting to make sure and share with his Philippian friends that he was okay because he knew that one way or another they had received the word from people that were traveling that he was in prison. Now, if you had a close friend that was in prison, you would probably be sort of concerned about them. And they were concerned about him. And he wanted them to know that he was in prison But the fact that he was in prison was actually serving to advance the gospel because everybody knew why he was in prison, for preaching the gospel of Christ. And so it was actually even bringing positive attention among the palace guards and and other individuals. He also wanted to make sure that they knew that God was faithful and that he was filled with joy because he knew that they were also under persecution and many of them, the church was on trial in Philippi as well as in Rome or wherever he may have been imprisoned. And he wanted to make sure that they didn't give up the faith, that they realized that it was Christ's gospel that they were speaking and that God was faithful. So all through here, he is trying to encourage them. It's also filled with words of affection. Did you hear that as we read the gospel? How he feels about them, the love that he actually feels for his friends there. As they live out their public life as citizens of a heavenly commonwealth, And as the integrity of their lives shine forth in the midst of a twisted world, 
They are actually, and what he's trying to say to them, that the very lives that they are living in the midst of their struggles actually are the gospel of Christ, and they are living out the mission. As Dr. Fleming says, the mission is the very identity of the people of God. In other words, our everyday lives, how we interact with each other, what we say, what we do, whether or not we're good stewards of our time, whether or not we're good stewards of our money, how we interact when somebody says something that we don't necessarily like. Philippians is a great example of attitudes that we as Christians ought to have rather than the attitude that sometimes we do have. And here you will sense Paul's passionate love for these people. It's not just somebody out there somewhere. These are people that he has a relationship with, people that he rarely rarely, uh, sees but stays in touch with. Dr. Dennis Kinlaw says, You know how merely thinking of some people brings joy and a sense of gratitude. Paul's attitude toward his Christian friends overflows with love as if to say, I feel better when I think about you. In my prayers, every time I pray for you, I do it with joy. There is always joy in praying for you because of your fellowship, your friendship, your companionship in the gospel. You have become a part of my life, and you bring me joy. Then he goes on to say, Paul says, It's right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. Have you ever thought about there are some people in your life that actually bring joy, and every time you see that person, you feel sort of uplifted? And then there are other people that you think, Oh, no, I see them coming. I wonder if I could kind of... Scoot over this way. No eye contact. Yeah, you know those people, too. I have a few of those, and you think, because when you have that conversation with them, you just know what it's going to be like. Well, you know, I can't believe what's happening today, and do you know what so-and-so did? And, you know, it's just kind of, and it's different than just sharing in our Christian struggles. It's that constant negative attitude that when you walk away, um, you just feel like you've been up for two nights straight without any sleep at all. And um, then there are those other people that if you kind of see them halfway across campus, you might even find a way to try and make it toward them just because you know that they're going to have a positive word. That's one of the things that I love, and um, as I have, have for several weeks now been in Philippians and reading through it over and over again, I don't get tired of it because there is something that is so encouraging. There's also something in here that is quite convicting for me. Um, because I like to think of myself as an optimistic person, but I know that I have those days too when some of you are probably thinking, oh no, I see you're coming. I'm going to go the other way. Um, I don't want to be that way, but I know sometimes the, the human side of me comes along. And here we find Paul, he's in prison. He has every right to complain. Every right to complain. I mean, here he was trying to preach the gospel doing God's work, and he's in prison. Um, And I've seen some examples of some of those prison cells, and they're pretty small. It's not a great 
life to, to sort of be in there. Um, and I begin to think of some of those days when I fall into my whining mode. Now, do any of you have a whining mode? Where things are just not going the way you want them to go, and you just kind of get in that mode. Poor me, you know? And I am working so hard, and I'm working so many hours, and I did all of this, and you know, they didn't do that, and it goes on and on and on. And I'll have to confess to you that sometimes I just enjoy just kind of staying there and wallowing for a while. Um, you know, just get it out of my system. Um, last spring, I was having sort of one of those whining modes, and probably before this is over, I am going to be sorry for um, sharing this particular example with you, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. Uh, spring is a really heavy travel time for me. Part of what a president does is go and tell other people out there and around how wonderful you are and all the great things that you're doing. And um, there's, a, there's a PR part of, of the job. The Church of the Nazarene um, is organized into districts, and then we have a district superintendent over local churches on that district, and we have a region, and our region starts down in Virginia for ENC and sort of comes straight north up through Maine and Vermont and, and New Hampshire. And, you know, once a year they all have annual meetings. And in their annual meeting it's part inspirational and services and it's part business. And these all tend to happen on this particular region right in those last few weeks of school when you're really busy here. And to be quite truthful, I would rather be with you here in the vents. And I miss a lot of those um, because I'm out telling the college story on that. And this was finals week. It was about my fourth or fifth one of, one of these assemblies. And um, this was on a Thursday morning. On Tuesday night, we had had our big party over in the um, calf to announce the new mascot, the lion. And, you know, this is the part where I was telling you I might be sorry for even mentioning this. Some people are really happy about a new mascot. Some people are not happy at all about a new mascot. Um, some people really like the lion, but they didn't want to give up the crusader, so they're not quite ready to say that they like the lion. And so you just get this whole sort of thing, and this had been going on for a year. And when we announced our... Um, mascot, then we did what you should do when you have something new to announce and we sent out some press releases. So the day before I had talked to a couple of reporters when I was going um, up to Maine and um, they were sort of fair in what they said. You know, they kind of twisted my words around a little bit and um, said a few things that I would have preferred that they probably not put into the press release, but it wasn't awful. Um, but I was kind of away, and I had read some of the articles online early that morning, but was sort of staying away from it. I'm sitting in the business part of the meeting, knowing that there probably are going to be reactions here and there, and um, I get an email from Dr. Wooster, and he has included a couple of comments that have been posted on the, the, the Globe website. He spared me from most of them, but there were a couple that he thought maybe I would want to see. And as I read down through the, the first one on my phone there, it said something to the effect of, these may not be the exact words, but it certainly is the idea. I hope that the lion comes and eats my entire cabinet, Corliss McGee. 
Now, I don't know which one of you posted that. I know I didn't post it. Um, There are ways of finding out those things. But I just had to sort of laugh, you know. Uh, I wasn't thinking that, I promise. Uh, But it, it was kind of funny. The next one was more serious. And the next one went down through a really long, very um, articulate, um, actually very supportive um, email. And I'm thinking, oh, this is really good. You know, this person really thinks this is great and and all. And, And they did. And I get to the last line, and it says, and I have met Dr. McGee, and she is certainly not a wimp. Well, I got a little bit of a laugh out of that one, too. I thought, oh, good. You know, they know I'm not a wimp. And then, you know, it took me about half a second to realize that that was a response to others who had been saying things about me that I probably didn't want to read at, at that point in time. And I sort of chuckled. Um, but at the same time, you know, I'm kind of sitting there thinking, you know, people are saying things about me that aren't necessarily true. They're assuming they know what's in my heart and what my motives are, and they feel very free to post all of these things, and I'm having a little bit of a pity party. Well, the business part of this meeting um, quickly came to an end, and it was time for worship. And I did what I hope each and every one of you have done as you came in here. At that point in time, I put my phone away so that I wouldn't be distracted in worship and so that people around me would not be distracted in worship. And as the speaker began to speak, he just happened to be um, an individual that had been my pastor for a few years, and I knew that while his messages were often convicting and um, encouraged me to change some of my attitudes, they also were often very um, inspiring about a God who can do things that we never dreamed of. So as I began to listen, his first words were recounting a story of excitement. He had just received a message either that night uh, the night before or or that morning, about this wonderful church, um, a country in South Asia somewhere, I think, although he, I'm not sure he said that, in a creative access country. Do you know what a creative access country is? It's one of those countries where when we talk about missions, we don't call it by name because it's not necessarily safe for people to be talking about Christ in those countries. And so we don't want to use their names because we don't want to get them arrested or sometimes persecuted in ways that um, in some places even killed. And so this was a report from a creative access country. And in this particular country, they didn't really kill Christians, but they did arrest them for um, preaching. And they had finally arrived at the point where the government had said that they could register the church But in order to register the church, they had to prove that they had been in existence for 12 years. Now, how can you prove that you've been in existence for 12 years when you're not even allowed to talk about Christ? Okay? So it's kind of like, wow, how would you even expect that somebody could do that? Well, these 
these individuals were pretty creative, and um, they did prove that they had been in existence for 12 years. And the way that they did that was they went back for over a period of 12 years and showed all of the evidences of the times that they had been arrested for preaching the gospel of Christ. And the church was registered because it worked. Now here I am having a little bit of a pity party for myself about something that somebody may have posted on an internet site, on the globe. Uh, Or they may not like something about the decisions we made about the lion or the mascot or whatever. And I'm sitting there thinking, ooh, feeling sorry for yourself, huh? These folks are arrested for preaching the gospel over and over again for more than 12 years just for preaching the gospel. They were arrested. They went to jail. Um, they were faithful. It's kind of like the, the Christians here in Philippians, kind of like Paul. Um, their joy in preaching the gospel, in sharing the gospel, in sharing God's word, um, came from an inner strength that came from a personal relationship with Christ. It wasn't about everything they had learned. It wasn't about the circumstances around them. It wasn't about what was happening um, with their girlfriend or their boyfriend or their husband or wife or their kids or their mom and dad or whatever. It was that inner peace that only comes from joy in having that relationship with Christ. Um, Sort of a rude awakening for me. I have those every once in a while where it's like, okay, just kind of get your act together. So you think life's tough? Look around. Look around at all of the things that you have have been given. While I was worried about some of these kinds of things, um, I was forgetting to be thankful that I live in a country where we have freedom of speech and somebody can post something freely. These people were being arrested just for preaching the word of God. And I have the right not only to preach or speak the word of God, but sometimes it's not very nice what we post on some of these websites, and that's a witness too, um, either positive or negative, but we have the freedom to do that. And I was sort of missing the whole big picture there. Paul's message to us here in Philippians chapter 1 is that our joy, our peace, our ability to respond positively in spite of difficult people or circumstances comes from our inner life and growth in Christ and not from ourselves. Spending time in the Word, in prayer, in study, enables Christ to change us from the inside out so that our very actions exhibit the mind of Christ in our everyday reactions, and we are actually living out our lives in ways that become Christ's Christ's message to the world around us. I'd like to challenge you in these very first days of this new year. Take time to spend quiet time. Take time to develop that inner life that impacts those reactions you have to life circumstances that are not always very positive. 
As we close today, Dr. Shetler is going to come back and he's going to lead us in a hymn of consecration, Take My Life and Let It Be.